Hello and welcome to the 13th episode of the Royal Meteorological Society's podcast. I'm Richard, I'm the digital lead here at the Society. Yeah, I'm Liz Bentley, Chief Executive here at the Society, and I'm delighted today that we're joined by John Mitchell, who is the former Chief Scientist at the Met Office and author of this um, sixth paper, briefing paper, that we are about to, to launch and publish on climate modelling. So thank you, John. Thank you. Um, so can I start really just by asking, well, what is a climate model? A climate model is essentially a, a set of mathematical equations uh, solved on a computer, and the case of a climate model, it's very similar to a weather forecast model. In fact, nowadays, they're more or less indistinguishable. And it's based on the classical equations of physics, equations of motion, and so forth. And that's to distinguish it from, for example, economic models, where they have to base it on some empirical theory. And there is not agreement between economists and what, what is the correct economic theory. Mm -hmm. But in the case of uh, modeling the atmosphere and the ocean, as we do in climate models, we're using well-established physics as the basis of our, our, our equations. And, and I guess, from my perspective, if you think about climate models, um, there's a great strength in the fact that we use the same model for forecasting the weather over the next few days, and actually a climate model that looks decades or you know, a century ahead. I guess, is that a real strength in the science that we can do that together in a joined-up way? Oh, yes, in, 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 indeed. As I say, it's the same set of equations, equations of motion, uh, equations of conserving heat, conserving mass, conserving water, uh, and the perfect gas law. And those form the basis. Uh, in the ocean, it's similar, except we've got salinity instead of moisture. Mm -hmm. So how, how do we use these climate models? What, how, how, as climate scientists, but also, I guess, as a kind of user end, are there products that we can now take from these climate models? Okay, just to say a bit more about the model itself, it's mm -hmm. based on a set of variables on a grid, mm -hmm. which is stretched over the globe and through the vertical. Um, and for a climate model, those were about 100 kilometres typical resolution, so a value of temperature and salinity or temperature and moisture and winds at those grid points. Um, so what we do in a forecast model, we take the initial conditions of those variables at the beginning of the forecast, say you know, the 1st of December. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll tell you for the argument, say something like uh, 1950, just to, because it'll help the illustration. And we can step those equations forward in time, and that will step forward the winds and the temperature in time and the surface pressure, mm -hmm. and that will give you a forecast. So, for example, if you had a depression off the west of Ireland, uh, you might forecast that that would go across over into the continent, fill up, and then perhaps be followed by another depression. Mm -hmm. uh, so you run the forecast, and as you run it, by the time you get out to 10 days, the correspondence between those individual disturbances in the forecast and in the real world starts to disappear. Mm -hmm. So after about 10 days, the model will still produce depressions, it'll move things through, but it won't bear any... Uh, relation in terms of the individual features. Mm -hmm. Now what we do in a climate model is we'll take that model and we'll just keep running it mm -hmm. and say we run it for 30 years and what you'll find then that if you look at the seasonal cycle of temperature because it's being forced by the sun uh, you'll see that over the different parts of the globe you'll see the evolution of the monsoon mm -hmm. over uh, India uh, in the summer and over the southern continents in, in, uh, in their summer. You'll see the storm track getting stronger in winter and then moving and declining in the summer. And we can compare the statistics of that with the statistics of climatology. Mm -hmm. And obviously in a good model, there's a fairly good correspondence. Mm -hmm. So whereas in the forecast model, we're trying to forecast individual disturbances day by day, 
what we're trying to do in a climate model is to predict the uh, statistics of, of the weather. So the mean temperature, how much it varies, the seasonal variation, and also the variation in the strength of the storm track from year to year. And that's also very important when we come to validate them. Mm -hmm. Because in a weather forecast, we're trying to get exact correspondence to the extent that we can. We now have actually probabilistic forecasts, but that's another another yes. topic. <laughs> but we're not trying to predict individual depressions you know, for the year 2050, mm -hmm. you know, Christmas 2050. What we're trying to predict is what's the sort of average temperature likely to be uh, in December in the 2050s, and how much is it going to vary from year to year and perhaps day to day. So that's how we use them. So you mentioned um, that we can get predictions of the, the average temperature, say, in December 2050. Do we actually get any detail, um, not just in a global scale, but actually at regional level as well? Well, you've got grid points every 100 kilometres over the, the, the globe. So that's not actually the accuracy of the model, but that's the level of detail we can get. Mm -hmm. So we can get you know, distinguished between the north and south of the British Isles. Uh, we can, if we want to get more detail use the global model to what we call force a regional model to give you a bit more detail. That becomes important when you're looking at, uh, for example, around mountains, around coastlines, to get things like you know, land sea breeze, mm -hmm. to get the rainfall that's forced by mountains and the changes in those reasons. But yes, you get the temperature, wind, windfall, uh, sorry, rainfall, winds around the globe, mm -hmm. uh, day by day through the whole simulation. And to say you're looking at the statistics of that, mm -hmm. uh, the mean is just a simple index to yeah. give you an idea how big the climate is but yeah. for practical purposes people want to know what the seasonal variation the regional variation mm -hmm. and perhaps the year to year and day-to-day -day variation mm -hmm. in a statistical sense so how would we go about validating climate models well our if you like our confidence in models comes through uh, a, a number of things the first is the physical basis of the models so I've, as i said earlier we are basing the models on the laws of classical physics uh, there and uh, those are sort of tried and tested. Uh, there are some aspects of the model that, uh, for example, radiation, which is of course very important for things like the greenhouse effect, uh, we can't afford to run a detailed radiation scheme. We understand radiation very well. So what we tend to do is to run detailed models and then fit the results to, so we can use them economically in the computer. Um, there are other processes, for example, cloud formation and so on, uh, where we might want to use fine-scale models to find a simpler representation for the global model, again, because of the cost of running them in the computer. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the parameters are based on observations, so things like the, surface, the reflectivity of the surface of the Earth is measured. Mm -hmm. And then finally, there are some processes, and clouds, again, is another area of problems, where we have to take a more empirical approach. But again, we would look to physical principles and to observations and tests, numerical tests, to try and validate them. So that's the physical basis of the models. And I guess validation then of, of climate models, using other seasonal models, is there, are there any processes or procedures we can use for that? There's, there's a number of things we can do. None of them are definitive in themselves. Yes. Uh, the first, as I say, we've tested the numerics of the model and the, perhaps some of the components of the model. I mean, I talked mainly about the atmosphere, but we also do the same thing with the ocean. Yeah. Uh, the second thing would be to look at the simulation of present-day climate. Does it produce the seasonal variation of the monsoons, mm -hmm. the seasonal variation of temperature over different parts of the globe, rainfall? Uh, does it reproduce the uh, radiative balance at the top of the atmosphere and its seasonal geographical 
validation. But that in itself isn't sufficient to say it's a good climate model. Uh, the next thing we can do is look at simulations of the last 100 years, where we try and put in the factors that we think have influenced climate, so things like the changes in greenhouse gases, aerosols, any change of volcanic activity and solar activity to the extent that we know what it is. Um, and that gives us an idea, you know, are we in the right ballpark? Mm. But one has to be a little bit careful because you don't want to tune your model to that change because it's not just greenhouse gases that have been changing. So it's a useful check, but it's something one has to be careful that one does about. Um, a third way is looking at seasonal forecasts, and they rely principally on the inertia in the tropical oceans to shape the tropical circulation. Um, and as I say, the forecast model and climate models are pretty well now the same code. Mm -hmm. So that gives us the continuity from weather forecasting right up to long time scales. And the final thing is looking at past climates. Um, the advantage of that, it is a real climate change, in fact, the last ice age. Uh, the shortcoming is that both the uh, measurements of the past climate, of course, are fuzzy. They're reconstructed from things like ice cores and, and pollen and so forth. And also, we're not entirely sure what all the forcing changes were. We know the CO2 changed, we know the ice sheets changed, and there were changes in aerosol. So if you like, you've got a slightly fuzzy climate you're comparing against and slightly fuzzy uh, forcing. But those factors together give us confidence in how the models run. That's great. So one of the things and we get asked, and you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but I get asked a lot, is you know, if, if we can't predict the weather with 100% accuracy a, a week or two weeks ahead, how can we use these same models to have... Uh, you know, a real grasp on what, what the climate's going to look like in, in say, 100 years' time? It's essentially because we're predicting something different. Mm. In the weather forecast, you want to know what the temperature is going to be at a certain time, at a certain place. In a climate forecast, what it'll tell you is what we expect the average change to be over a period, mm -hmm. how much that's likely to vary, vary from year to year. But what we're not doing is saying, you know, in 2050, on a particular day, the temperature will be, you know, 10 degrees in Reading or whatever. Mm -hmm. so that's, and that's also important because in a weather forecast, you can validate it against the actual observations in those days. Yeah. Um, with a climate forecast, you're giving a range of temperatures that you expect mm -hmm. at that, you know, maybe five decades ahead. Yeah. Uh, so you, you can't validate it exactly in the way that you can a, a weather forecast. It's a, a statistical match. That's great. Thanks, John. So this is a briefing paper, part of our series, and I would encourage people to go and have a look at the briefing paper after listening to the podcast. And if there's any questions, um, please email the Society. We can either pass that back to John or we can try to answer those ourselves. So thank you very much, John. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, John. So uh, to close, we thought it would be good to highlight some things that you might find of interest. We have a couple of great events coming up in November. First, on uh, Saturday, 10th of November, we have our annual Weather Live conference, which is being held at the British Antarctic Survey in Cambridge. Uh, the theme for this year's conference is extreme weather, so we'll be looking at severe weather events and climates around the world and how people live and work with extreme weather, tornadoes, hurricanes, flooding, etc. We've got a number of great speakers and a really varied lineup for you, so be great if you could come along to that. The tickets cost £5 for society members and £15 for non-members. More details can be found on our website, which is www.armets.org forward slash weather live. Uh, and then on Wednesday and 14th of November, we're hosting an event at the Westminster Conference Centre, so just around the corner from the Houses of Parliament. 
and that's uh, called Meeting a Global Temperature Goal of 1.5 Degrees C. And we'll be looking in depth at the IPCC's recent Global Warming of 1.5 Degrees C report, discussing the impact of its findings and what it means for the future. This is a free event, but, and it's open to society members and non-members, but you will need to register, which you can do on our website. You can find details about all of the other events that we have lined up, be it national meetings, local centre meetings, special interest group meetings. There's a lot in the calendar, and you can find all of those at www.armets.org forward slash events. Also, the public vote is open in our Weather Photographer of the Year competition. Um, this year we had thousands of entries from all over the world, some absolutely stunning photographs. Uh, and our judging panel have whittled them down to about 30 images. No, 30 images, I think, shortlist. And if you go to weather-photo.org, you can do the whole shortlist and then vote on your favourite. And the winners will be announced in a few weeks' time. And then finally, uh, for listeners who are also members of the Society, and, and those of you who regularly read our members' magazine, The Weather Journal, um, we'd like to get your feedback. We've put together an online survey to get your thoughts and opinions on the magazine and to find out what you think we should be featuring in future. So if you go to www.armets.org forward slash weather hyphen survey, you'll be taken to the, the survey, which should only take you about five to six minutes to fill in. And we do really, really appreciate your feedback. So it'd be great if some of you could, uh, could do that. Um, so that's it for now. Keep in touch with us on social media. If you go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you can do a search and you'll find us. Um, and then keep an eye on our, on our website, our brand spanking new website, www.armets.org, uh, for all of our latest news. Uh, so, yeah, thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you soon. <laughs>